Chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites ask the Lord. Don't lose sight of this. What's the very first thing that happens in the book of Judges? A prayer. The Israelites asked the Lord. Who of us is to go up first? Remember from Jericho, everything is up. Who of us is to go up first against the Canaanites? And how would they ask this of the Lord? They asked, I believe, of the Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim are the Alpha and Tav stones, flat rocks, one probably white, one probably black, that were kept in pouches behind the high priest's breastplate with the stones for all 12 tribes on them. Those stones that I sometimes refer to as the yes-no rocks were kept back there and they were used to find things out. Like, hey, who kept a wedge of gold or whatever it was when we captured this city and then they found out about Achan. That's all part of the, Jer of the Jericho thing. Now they ask, who will go up? So how would they figure that out? Probably just go through the tribes, right? So who are the first four tribes? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben came up with a no, Simeon no, Levi no, Judah yes. So, and then I think probably the high priest would have added something to the yes. He adds this, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. That makes perfect sense. Um, that, that would have been what that indicated, and so off they go. Actually, they wouldn't have been fourth. It would have been third, because Levi wouldn't have been included. So it would have been Reuben, Simeon, Judah, probably, as they went. So, but then Judah does something that the other tribes don't do. This chapter will conclude with a set of, I think it's seven or eight failures, tribe by tribe by tribe. This tribe fought this Thing and they failed. This tribe fought these guys and they failed. These guys couldn't push out the. And they, but what does Reuben or what does Judah do here at the beginning? The men of Judah then said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, "Come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours." So the Simeonites went with them. So let's go. You want to come along? Judah and Simeon, by prophecy of, of Jacob himself, were going to be intertwined. The Simeonites were not going to have separate land apart from Judah. Where Judah was, that's where Simeon was going to be. They were going to be the Liechtenstein of... Anybody know what I mean by Liechtenstein? That's a landlocked little country. Is it inside of Switzerland or something? I don't know where they are. Uh, but Liechtenstein... Uh, doesn't have any outside territory that isn't this other country that it's inside of. Same is true of Vatican City. And there are some other places like that where they're completely within somebody else. Lesotho in, uh, in Africa is like that. I, I, I'll stop. Okay, I come up with. All right. So anyway, Simeon goes with Judah. Um, when Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands. They struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. Two things here. Number one, I don't have a map because I don't know where Bezek was. Nobody knows where Bezek was. If you read the People's Bible by Dr. John Lorenz, he thinks it might be Jerusalem 
And of all of the guesses I've ever read, that's the only one that's based on any facts. So that's a pretty good guess. However, I think maybe it was a village or city near Jerusalem and not Jerusalem itself. And that's also based on a fact. But let's just leave it at that, okay? Yes, Mark. They did. And God blessed their efforts. I think that's enough of an answer. Uh, here we also have uh, uh, the Canaanites who are fighting with the Perizzites. Now, in, in the Old Testament, there are quite a few times when there's a whole list of the Canaanites. Canaanites, Jebusites, Amorites, Perizzites, Kazluhites, Hittites, Chivites, and so, and so forth, Right? Perizzites is almost always in the list, but here they're listed along with the Canaanites. And I don't know which group of Canaanites this was in particular, but in general, the Amorites we find as, uh, or no, which one is it? I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go down that path. It doesn't make any difference in this passage. But here the Perizzites seem to be the second bananas of the, of the force that, that was attacking. And so I think that probably following typical ancient warfare, the Canaanites would have been the center of the line of the force they were attacking, and the Perizzites would have formed the wings. Um, that was typically how they would do it. When the Greeks would do it, the well-armed, uh, well-paid hoplites were in the middle, and the, I'll just call them the farmers who had, you know, kind of their pitchforks and, what, and spears and stuff would be on the ends. You know, and, uh, and there were a couple reasons for that. One is you struck hard in the center and it would divide your enemy and that their advantage is there. Also, if you didn't entirely trust your helpers on the wings, if they ran away, at least you weren't left with no center. So there are a couple of, of, of different ways, uh, reasons for doing this. Um, but uh, wow, I was taught that in 1982 by then Professor John Brug at DMLC. I've never forgotten that lesson. Um, why don't I just tell you that? Because I just remembered it all of a sudden. I got to have Brug at two schools. When he was a mere professor at DMLC and later as a doctor at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. But, um, so uh, they attacked the Perizzites, struck down 10,000 men, at Bezek, probably the entire army. They simply lost. And they, wow, they lost big. So they lost everybody. It was there that they found the Lord of Bezek, Adonai Bezek, that's, Adonai means Lord, and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his... But yeah, so all of a sudden, what, what, what use is this to you then? It's hard to even use chopsticks, right? How would I operate my digital watch? Remember when digital watches had to have a button you pushed? And, uh, and so forth. And um, uh, you couldn't, no longer could you tie your shoes and so forth. So Also, what would be the point of the toes? Kill your balance, your running speed. 
You wouldn't be able to even jump on a donkey easily anymore. Even mounting a, an animal would be difficult. So it would it completely incapacitated. Not that it's going to matter. He's going to be dead in about two minutes. Right? Didn't make any difference. But he's got time to write his own epitaph first. So first he says, Adonai Bizek says, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Uh, the men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and also and took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. So that's where Adonai Bezek dies, is in the, in the fire of Jerusalem, probably died in the fire. Um, notice, though, that they brought him to Jerusalem. So is that the same as Bezek? I kind of think they're not the same city, but it's nearby. That's why I think Bezek, by the way, means pebble. And we're, Jerusalem is mentioned several times in the book of Judges. Here they capture it. But it's a Pyrrhic victory, a traditional Pyrrhic, not, not the modern sense. Anybody know what a Pyrrhic victory is when we say that? What do we mean by it today? That, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, that's the classic correct answer. <laughs> that Pyrrhus was a 4th or 5th century BC, 4th century BC Greek city-state king. Not of all of Greece, but of one Greek little state. He was the first great opponent of Rome when Rome began to actually fight wars. Rome ultimately conquered the world out of self-defense. I'll justify that statement another time, but it's a pretty famous statement about Rome. But Pyrrhus fought against the Romans, but he never followed up his victories. So they were always, it, it, he didn't gain anything by them. He, he was brilliant at winning a battle, but he had no idea how to use a battle um, to his advantage afterwards. And, and also, now, now people often talk about one battle where he won the victory but lost almost his entire army. And so a victory that's costly is what we often talk about with a Pyrrhic victory today. Um, but not really. Originally, it was just a guy who didn't follow up his, his victories. So they don't do that with Jerusalem here. They attack it. It was a city on a hill. It was a great strategic location. What do they do with it? They just burn it. You know, so they don't actually capture it. Um, and they weren't necessarily obligated to, to do that with Jerusalem. They could have done something else. Yes? I was going to get to that. Probably not. You wouldn't need them at this time. Nobody had the kind of weaponry that would be, that would be necessary for walls. I'm talking like uh, catapults and trebuchets and things. Very likely, all you need for Jerusalem is probably a palisade that is a big old fence made out of telephone poles. That's a palisade on the north end. That's the only end where you can walk in level where the washerman's uh, field was. Otherwise, it's all just sheer hills going down. Jerusalem basically is shaped like your hand facing down this way with three fingers. And this one's the, uh, this one's the city of, no, the city of David's in the middle. There's another city over here. And then uh, the, um, uh, the Mount of Olives over on this side and so forth. But then uh, from the north, you can walk right in from above. 
Um, I used to do a lot more hand maps in the pulpit, didn't I? I don't do that anymore so much. I, that's, I started taking kind of flack for it, so I kind of stopped all that stuff. Um, uh, I would rather be known for the gospel than for my quirks. But anyway, um, so anyway, they probably just burned the palisade and the wooden structures that were there. And then, and then after that, though, the Jebusites rebuilt it very likely from the 10th century, or I'm sorry, the 12th, 13th century here, with stone. So that's, that's probably where the, where the heavier structure begins, is following that victory of the Israelites. After that, Judah went down, because everywhere from Jerusalem is down. Now they go down. They went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills. So everything to the west and south are the directions we're heading now. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba. And that's a curiosity because Hebron and Jerusalem are the two cities used in Israel for what? The kings. David ruled from Hebron. Everybody after David ruled from Jerusalem. And David did for part of his reign as well. So the, the, the two cities that are the capitals of, of Judah. Samaria, which is where the northern kings were, were, were reigning from, were, well, that wasn't even born uh, made yet. Samaria is much, much later. Samaria is a, a Second Samuel, First Kings, I think, thing. It's just not around yet. Um, you know, who lives in West New Ulm? Well, it's not built yet, right? So am I prophesying some huge metropolis to our West? I don't know. Anyway, did, what? Yes. A Culver's, yeah. And a Target. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Calm down. <sighs> okay, I got mad when they took away Target. Okay, you know why they took away our Target? Because it was making a profit. No. No, it was, it was making a profit, and they wanted us in New Ulm to do online shopping, so they killed our Target. Yes, that's, that's directly from the management of our former Target. Calm down. It'll be okay. All right. You also can't buy fish in New Ulm anymore either. Goldfish, I mean. Okay, let's, let's go. Alrighty. For my fish tank. Jared's not here to edit my stuff anymore. I'll have to make Chris Cushel do it. Okay. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, and defeated, oh, three names now. Shishai, Achaman, and Talmai. It's verse 10. We remember that it's verse 10 I'm looking for later? I don't care if you remember the guy's names. Just remember, pastor, it was verse 10, because I'm going to come back here. But Shishai, Achiman, and Talmai. I need those names in a little bit. Because I think, I think that our author skips, he's, he's, he's stretching out a fact that he's got some other stuff to tell us about, but these three guys are, are important to the story down the road. Okay, from there they advanced against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Sefer is the Hebrew word for book, um, something like that. All right. Caleb said, this is this Caleb. Caleb, the guy who with Joshua said, we can do it. We can take him. 
Caleb is a really old man. Uh, Caleb would have been, uh, at the end of the Exodus, he'd have been, well, 40 plus 40 is 80, right? And then uh, at, at, at the very minimum, right? And then we just tacked on 15 because of Joshua. So that's 95. Okay, so Caleb says, I'll give my daughter Axa. He had an unmarried daughter? Wow. He's got a 15-year-old daughter. So, okay. Anyway, let's just move on. I will give my daughter Axa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer, which was a little, a little fortified, walled, I, I, I don't know if I can call it a city. It was more like a, a big apartment building with a mall on the inside, a shopping center. It was, it was, I've got a picture, okay? So here, here, just a little tiny enclosed something, right? If you can imagine that on top of those walls there would have been a wooden structure and then a roof, that's not a big place, is it? That's not even the market plots. That's, what is this? Um... What? Oh, I mean, this is smaller than St. Paul's school, right? You know, or whatever it is. Let's go back. So, <coughs> so Caleb promises his daughter to the guy who does it. And who goes? His kid brother, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter to Aksa in marriage. So who does she marry? Her uncle. Now, in Luther's time, some of Luther's opponents uh, who were uh, foreshadowing the, the uh, theological wasteland of the 19th and 20th centuries, they had already begun to question scripture. And what about these mistakes that are there in the Bible? For example, they asked, well, what if, what if uh, Othniel dies without a child? Who does she have to sleep with to have a baby? Who's, who is Othniel's brother? Her own father. Yeah. Are we approaching that country western song, I am my own grandpa? Here, I, do you know about that song? Google it. Okay. Um, so uh, next time we do karaoke, maybe I am my own grandpa would be a fun one. So, and, and what does Luther say? Okay, Luther, in a letter to a friend, uh, this friend was concerned about this, had heard attacks on the Bible because of this. Because some of the people who Luther called the Schwermer, these are the people who thought they could hear the Holy Spirit buzzing in their ears. Uh, they, um, they were attacking script. They, they said, well, we should be listening for the spirit in our hearts and not paying attention to the word of God. There's all kinds of mistakes in the word of God, they said. And Luther says, you know, even, even if the, through the, the law of Deuteronomy, Caleb would have been obligated to marry his brother's wife, but because this wife of his brother was his own daughter, he was prohibited from marrying her by another superior law and would have been ordered to stay away from her. The law of Deuteronomy 25, which is the 
the Leveret law, yields to the other law, which is the law of nature. You know, you can't do that. You can't, you can't marry your own parent or child. So Luther says that, you know, uh, and, and, and if you apply that to the rest of judges, that brilliant observation on part of the reformer in a letter, now do you understand the, how to answer the paradox people have of how can there be all this blood and killing in judges over against the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. Well, because God told them, wipe out these nations who have rejected me, but these nations and only these nations, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Kasluhites, the Kaf. No, not the Kaftarites, the, uh, the Philistines, the, um, and so on, but not Moab. Why? They're your brothers. The Moabites are your brothers. Don't wipe out the Moabites. So the Lord, and by, were they supposed to wipe out the Egyptians? No, they had no orders to wipe out the Egyptians. The Chivites, yes, but not some of these others. So you're not going to just wipe out anybody who walks to your front door who's not wearing the Star of David. You're going to war against these countries, these nations that have rejected me. Because if you don't, they're going to be like yeast, like rotten yeast in, uh, in your food, right? So get rid of them. Okay. Um, so that, that, that really answers that question of how can you have the one and the other at the same time. There's one law. The one law does not annihilate the other law. All right. This is, again, the Kiryat Sefer ruins. This was taken in, the I think, the 1920s. Um, but when Israel was not yet built up in the modern sense. My son leaves in uh, 13 hours for Israel. Um, God bless their journey. He's supposed to make it back the day before his brother graduates from high school, but we'll see. <laughs> I made him sign the card in case he's late, so we'll see. All right. This is the girl now, Aixa. When she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And when she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what is it you wish? So I, this morning I wondered about this. Did, did Othniel not ask? But I think he did ask. I think that probably just Caleb wants uh, clarification from his daughter. What, you know, what exactly do you want? So she, she, she asks for a field and she replies in verse 15, give me a special blessing. Since you have given me land in the Negev, which by the way is a desert, uh, give me also springs of water. Now doesn't that make sense? Unless you live in Luther's time and there are people who take everything in the Bible to be an allegory. And suddenly nothing in the Bible means what it says. We have to allegorize everything. Thank you, Thomas Aquinas. Everything has to have a different meaning. And Luther said, no, it, it doesn't. Uh, it can just mean what it says. 
Um, and so, because uh, otherwise, what you're going to end up with is here, no, no, then the passage maybe is some mystical uh, statement about two sources of spiritual knowledge, the upper and lower springs, or two sources of grace, or, here's the heresy, two sources of salvation, which would be the lower spring, Christ on the cross, the upper spring, Mary, the mediatrix. Let's give her a new title. Um, so, no. Uh, Luther says, no, just, no, it's just a girl who got a pretty good piece of land but wants some water. Isn't that what this is about? That's a reasonable request. Finally, it's uh, the, the, the daughter under the fourth commandment Asking her father to help her keep the fifth. Don't kill me by giving me a house in the desert. Give me water too. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, remember the name of Moses' father-in-law? Or if I say Beverly Hillbillies? Jethro. 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 Yeah, there you go. Jethro. So uh, you younger guys have to watch more me TV. So Beverly Hillbillies are on. Uh, so right, uh, right, right after MASH and right before Hogan's Heroes. So there you go. Uh, sorry, I know the schedule. Uh, so say that again? That's later at night after I go to bed. I don't know about Twilight Zone. So the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went up from the city of Palms. They're down in the... In the they're down with the rest of Israel in the, in the launching. They're still on go. They haven't rolled the dice yet in, 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 our, in our Monopoly game, right? They now go up with the men of Judah to live among the people of the desert of Judah in the Negev near Arad. Now, that's a pretty garish-looking piece of land there, right? That could be, oh, those places that are further west than New Ulm. Oh, that could be in the wild country of... What, Montana, Sleepy Eye? I don't know what that could be, um, but it's pretty wicked country out there. I try to stay away. Um, but they go, and by the way, it does flower even in the springtime. It blooms, um, and they are able to grow their grain and their spelt and their olives and, their, and their, even their grapes. Uh, so the men of Judah, I want to get to a couple more verses here. I know we're getting kind of in our time. The men of Judah went with the Simeonites, their brothers, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephath, totally destroyed the city. Therefore, it was called Horma. That'll come back later. The men of Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashkelon and Ekron, each city with its territory. Do you recognize those three places? Who they belong to? Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron are Philistine cities. Not all of them, but there are three of them. This victory is not going to last. The Philistines will go back. But Gaza will be a thorn in Samson's side down the road even. So that will go back to the Philistines. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. So the mountains, yes, but then you get to the Shephelah, the plains, and they couldn't. And the thing about a wooden chariot 
is you could hit it with a hammer, you could burn it, you could stick it full of arrows, right? Throw a spear through it maybe, because it's probably just wicker on the side. They were too heavy otherwise. They actually, they've, they've shown that with King Tut's chariot. They had big open holes uh, that, were, that were basically wicker on the outside just to make it lighter. But they, these things were iron. You try to knock over an iron chariot and all you have is, is a stub toe, right? So it's not going to work. Um, but as Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb who drove from it the three sons of Anak. What verse did I tell you to remember? 10. Shishai, Achaman, and Talmai. Very likely were these three sons or tribes of Anak. The Anakim were the giants left over um, from the earlier time period. Um, and then just, to, just to, to catch us up to the morning group, we had, we had to stop at this verse. Actually, I'll probably start here, next, start here next time. The Benjamites failed to dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. When this book was written, Jerusalem was not yet an Israelite city, still a Jebusite city. And Luther often used this passage to talk about Christian, Christians living among unbelievers, actually. Probably the verse from this chapter that Luther refers to the most is 121 that they lived among, the, Jebu the Benjamites lived among the Jebusites just like believers live among unbelievers to this day. God bless you all. We'll pick it up there then next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.